Amen. That's good singing this morning. I think you liked that last song. I mean, I noticed some of you even smiling while you were singing. So that, that's great improvement. I mean, it's one thing to sing. It's something else to enjoy the singing. Well, we're glad you're here this morning. And a good crowd this morning. Thank you for, thank you for making a, a, your worship service at your church a priority. I'm preaching this morning under this subject, disagreements. Okay, preacher, here it comes. I guess we got a problem. That's the only reason you'd preach on disagreements. No, I believe in preventive maintenance. I don't know that we have any sweeter fellowship here than any place I've been in a long, long time. There's a united fellowship. We're focused on a purpose. The end purpose is to lead men, women, boys, and girls to Jesus Christ. The intermediate focus is to be in a location that will uh, amplify and magnify what we're doing and, and uh, make us uh, a church in the very, very center of the growth that's taking place. So our immediate focus is that transition, that move, and there's a great, great, great uh, affirmation from the, from the folks. But folks, let me just tell you something. Each week... And you think I'm exaggerating. This is not a preacher's story. I'm telling you the truth. Each week, we're having things happen that are absolutely miraculous. I told you the other day, I don't even get to pray about stuff anymore. It happens before I can pray. God is doing some amazing things. Now, some of it we can't tell out open quite yet, but I'm just telling you behind the scenes, there are people working, people doing a lot of hard work, there are people praying, but even before we get to the point of it being a, a situation, God's just opening doors and just doing things in, in an amazing way. We'll be able to tell you the whole story as, as it unfolds because it's unfolding as I speak. God is blessing this church. But let me tell you something. Anything that moves causes friction. The devil does not get involved in a dead church. The devil gets involved when a church starts moving, when it starts doing something. And when it starts moving, there's some friction involved. And when that friction gets involved, there can be disagreements. And unless you deal with it and put the salve and the oil of the Holy Spirit on that disagreement, you'll have a gear break a tooth and you'll have a problem. And so this morning, there is no disagreement. We're 94% united, 95% united. By the time we get to it, we're going to be 99.9% .9 united in what God is doing for us, to us, and through us. But in the meantime, let's talk about what the Scripture has to say when there is disagreement. If you have your Bibles, be finding Matthew chapter 18. It is the majority proof text that we need when we have some disagreements. Now, the context here is the disagreement in the church. But I'm going to tell you, the principles of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. And the principles of God apply to life, not to just the church organization. That's very, very important. But to any organization, the principles that are involved are principles we need in our family, we need in our business, we need in our government, we need in every aspect of our life. So the context here is the church. But the principles involved fit any situation where there's a congregation 
of those who name Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Matthew 18, I'm going to begin reading in verse 15, and then we'll pull over on the side of the road and talk about it a little bit, okay? Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. My goodness, there it is. There's God's plan for dealing with disagreements. Again, the context is the church, but any disagreement involving brothers is listed right here for us to be aware of and for us to incorporate as we have disagreements. Now, I know you have never had any disagreements. I know that. Susan's not here this morning. We have never had any disagreements. Susan and I made a decision one day when we first got married, we would never go to bed with a disagreement. We stayed up for over two months at one time. <laughs> disagreements are part of life. We're different. Male and female is the least of it. Our temperaments are different. Our background's different. Our education is different. Our life experiences are different. And so we view things differently. So there's going to be disagreements. There's just going to be disagreements. How do you deal with it? Well, let's first of all see the people involved because this is very, very important to set the setting for the rest of the verses. Notice it says, if thy brother. This is talking about you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. This is talking about you and I as the redeemed. This is not talking about a saved man and a lost man. It's talking about those in the church, me and you, us, usins, the, the, the pastor, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, the laity, the committee men, us who name the name of Jesus Christ. This refers to a Christian, to the Christian relationship. Why? because we're members of the same body. When you hurt a brother, you hurt yourself. It's that simple. We should live in harmony as much as we possibly can with one another. Feuding children are a disgrace to their parents. Have you ever been in line like at Walmart and a kid starts acting up? I mean, he's pitching a fit. He wants a toy, he wants a candy, and the parents is trying their best to calm him down and you can just see they're embarrassed you know uh, you know they please please stand still don't do that get up off the floor my dad said you ever fall down in the floor I'm going to get down in the floor with you and you will get up but you, you see those situations and you watch the parent it just breaks their heart they're embarrassed by what the child is doing how our heavenly father must be grieved when he sees his children feuding and fussing and fighting 
and getting their nose out of joint over stuff that doesn't have one thing to do with eternity. It must break his heart. The Bible says that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We must love one another, period, warts and all. We must encourage one another. That's not the nature of some people, but you ought to learn to do it. Pat people on the back. Thank them for what they're doing at the church. Some of these committees that are working tireless hours, you don't need to know what they're doing. They're doing the dirty work behind the scenes, the nit and gritty stuff that, that has to be done that you can't do by the body itself. One person, a small group has to do it. But you ought to go up and just pat them on the back and say, I know you're on that committee. I'm praying for you. God bless you. I'm praying for wisdom as you meet and praying for your family as you're away from your family for so many hours. Encourage one another. We must help one another. Folks, we're in this together. It's me and you. Whatever we're doing, we ought to help. Can I just insert it right here? Our giving's abysmal. It is. We don't need to be running behind when we hit the fall. We need to make up where we are. And if this doesn't work, I'm gonna have to preach a sermon on stewardship. Don't make me do that. We give of our best to the master. Now I know some of you are getting ready for a capital campaign. But don't you give your tithe to the capital campaign. You give your tithe and offering to the church. The capital campaign will come. And I'm just telling you, God's going to supply your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, he just will. He just will. If I could give you testimony, I had a noted evangelist send me a letter one time, and he was using the illustration in the letter about he was in a church, and this guy's well, well known, and, and he said a, a little child walked up to him and gave him a $100 bill. And he was like, I mean, small child. He said, where in the world did you get said, I've been saving my money, and I want to give it to you. And he said, son, God's going to bless you. And he took the $100 bill. He got a letter sometime later, and the little boy had a birthday party. He got $200 at the birthday party. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. So I wrote him a check for $100. I thought, hey, I'm still waiting for a birthday party. <laughs> now, you don't give in order to get. That's not the reason. But I'm just telling you, if you give from a heart of gratitude, God's going to bless you because, folks, we're in this together. We're in it together. And God's looking at each of us to be a part don't let a disagreement in the church affect you and your relationship to a brother. Old timers used to say the devil had rather start a church fuss than sell a barrel of whiskey any day. And that's true. It breaks my heart to be in so many churches that I'm in where there's a church fuss going on. I mean, the devil doesn't have anything to do with some of it. All you need is a couple of cantankerous, vituperous, censorious people in the church. And they can shift the whole thing in neutral. The people involved, disagreements, 
can and will happen among brothers and sisters in the faith. But it may surprise you, you're supposed to treat a Christian better than you do someone who's not a Christian. Why is it we treat the world so good and fuss and fight in the church? That's a mystery. We're supposed to treat one another better than we do the world. That doesn't mean we're ugly to the world. But Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, As you have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We ought to treat everyone with respect, but it ought to be double portion within the church. Why? Again, we're part of the body. What sense does it make if the hand is arguing against the foot? What sense does it make if the elbow is arguing with the hand? It's not going to function. If things are not going to work. Several years ago, I had surgery on a shoulder. And I found out that when something is not right, it just throws the whole body off. I would reach the wrong way and I would hurt all the way down to my toenails. The same thing in the body of Christ. When one part is not working, it affects the whole part. And we don't function as we should for the glory of God. Well, that's the people involved. That's me and you. But there's a problem indicated. Verse 15 says, the problem is a trespass. Now, just because you and I have disagreements does not mean that we're lost, that we're not saved. All it means is our sanctification hasn't been completed yet. Someone is said to live there above with those that we love, that will be glory. But to walk here below with those that we know, brother, that's a whole nother story. And the reason is we haven't completed our sanctification. We're still growing in the grace and knowledge of God. And there are times when we trespass. The word here is the word harmatano, the Greek word. It means to miss the mark. For those of you who are theologians, it's the same word that's translated Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned. A trespass is a sin. To trespass means to miss the mark. There are times in my life when I've been living my life and in dealing with you or someone else, I've missed the mark. I've done something, said something. I've acted a certain way and I trespassed. I sinned against you. I was not perfect. And I'm not going to be perfect. And don't look at me so spiritual. You aren't either. We've all done this. Well, I tell you, I can't believe how she treated me. Well, you've done the same thing. If you hadn't, you've thought it. Amen? We all are that. We're fallen creatures. And we've all, harmatano, we've all missed the mark in dealing with someone else. But I want you to notice, it's very definite here. The trespass is against who? Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, let me translate that, you, the trespass is against you. How many times have you heard people who've taken up somebody else's trespass? Somebody gets in an argument and you take sides and you start talking about what one did to the other and you start agitating the situation. It's none of your business. If the trespass is not against you, why are you involved in the fight? More times than not, I have seen this happen in churches. You have a spark over here, and it's a spark between two 
But give it a little time and it'll be a roaring fire because everybody gets involved. Now, you and I have a responsibility to one another. The responsibility then gets all out of kelter when others get involved in it, fanning the flame, trying to make it their cause, their righteous indignation. They want to take sides. They want to make things right. Well, quite honestly, friend, it's none of your business. I was in a church not long ago as the interim pastor, and a lady came to me and she said, Brother Owens, I want you to know this man in the church said something to my friend and you need to talk to him. I said, really? What do you want me to say to him? Tell him how bad he is. I said, why don't you have her to tell him? Does he even know? She said, well, I don't know. But she wanted me to go intervene on something because I was the pastor. Well, that doesn't give me right and privilege. Plus, I go in there and all of a sudden what was a misunderstanding becomes a major disagreement. Then I tell somebody else and it becomes a feud. The Hatfield and McCoys are still shooting at one another. Maybe not with guns, but with ideas. All of this begins in a small way. And it begins between two people and all of a sudden others enter into it and it becomes a major catastrophe when really it started among two. The people involved. The people involved. A brother, a sister against you. Them, not us. But the process initiated. There's a process here. It's interesting when you look at Matthew chapter 18 and verse 7. Matthew 18 and verse 7, it says, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Woe to that man. You see, before you start to go correct other people, the first thing you do is you consider yourself. You check on yourself before you check on someone else. Galatians 6.1 says, Ye who are spiritual, restore such a one. It is very important that, first of all, you know the situation. And first of all, that you're right. Somebody has trespassed against you. Somebody has done something against you. Instead of blowing up about it, first of all, you need to find out what has happened here. That text in Galatians 6.1, the word fault there is the word parmitano. And it literally means being caught off guard. There are times the trespass has taken advantage of the person. They did not maliciously mean to hurt you. They were caught up in something and they fell by the wayside. They did something that was wrong, but it caught them by surprise. They said something they didn't mean to say it. They didn't mean it the way it was taken. And all of a sudden you take it, blow it out of proportion, and you got a feud going. First of all, consider what's happened. Because that Galatians 6 uh, verse 1 passage says we are to restore such a one. First of all, considering thyself. Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. I won't read it to you, but I have found in my life that many of the people that are the most judgmental and the most critical are the guiltiest. Remember David? 
David's sitting on the throne and his pastor comes into him and says, uh, we've got a little problem in the kingdom. David said, what's the problem? He said, we've got a man who's rich. He's got thousands of lambs. We've got another man over here who's very poor. He has one lamb. The man who was rich went over here and took the one lamb, barbecued it, and had a party. What should we do with that man? The Bible says David was livid. He jumped from the throne and said, the man who hath done this will repay fourfold. And his pastor looked at him and said, you're the man. You see, David was quick to judge a man who had taken an animal. David had taken a woman. He was quick to judge a man who had killed an animal, but what had he done? He'd killed a man, or at least was an accessory to it. When he put Uriah the Hittite at the point of the spear and then pulled the army back so he'd be killed so he could have his wife. You want to read something that's staggering, you continue to read over in 1 Samuel, you'll find out David repaid fourfold. Fourfold. He pronounced judgment in his own courtroom on his own self. So when you and I, the people involved are brothers and sisters in Christ, but the process, first of all, we check on ourselves. Ye who are spiritual, consider what's going on. Years ago in, in Texas, I was the associate pastor in a church and the pastor was going to be gone, so he let me preach on Sunday night. So I preached out of Psalms 51. And it was a great sermon. I went back and looked at some of those notes and threw them away. I thought, dear Lord, did I ever do that? But the next morning, I walked into the office and the receptionist said, oh, Brother Glenn, that was a great message. I thought, oh, yes, yes, please. My secretary said, oh, that was a marvelous message. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm just feeling so good. I went in and sat down, propped my feet up on the desk. I, God's so lucky to have me in the ministry. Receptionist called and she said, we have a phone call for you. I said, okay. So I picked up the phone. It was a lady. She laced into me. She called me everything you can think of. I mean, I was taken back. I didn't know what to say. I couldn't get a word in edgeways. She called me all sorts of names. So finally, when she took a breath, I got the chance to say something. I said, what in the world has you so mad? She said, I'm thinking about filing a lawsuit against you. I said, for what? She said, you broke a confidence. I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? She said, in private counseling, I told you some things that were going on in my life, and you told the whole church about it. And she called the name of the pastor. She said, and she called his name, I hate you. I said, well, if you want to hate him, that's fine, but that's not who I am. She said, what? I said, I'm the associate pastor. Oh, I said, the pastor wasn't even here last night. Oh. She said, well, I didn't have my glasses on last night and I was sitting in the back. I said, you thought the pastor broke a confidence in counseling? You thought he was preaching to you? Yes. I said, you know, if that happened to me, I would think God the Holy Spirit was speaking to me about my life. She cursed me out and hung up. Sometimes you got to find out who you're talking about and who you're talking with if you're going to talk about them and talk against them. Sometimes the most critical people I have run across are the people who are most critical of everything. 
And they just look for something to be critical about. If they're not unhappy, they're unhappy. If a brother or sister is overtaken, we are to help them. We're to restore them. First of all, you consider yourself. Have I done something to cause this problem? Have I done something to cause this situation? Second of all, am I guilty of the same thing? Have I prayed for this person? Samuel says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. I wonder if sometimes some of the people we criticize, some of the people we find fault with, if we have not sinned by ceasing to pray for them. Because remember, we're in this together. You consider your example. Have I set a right example before you? Do I have the audacity to go and try to straighten you out when I'm not right to begin with? You know, let me tell you how you should act. Don't talk about how I act, but how you should act. You know, it's the old line, when you point, there's more fingers pointing back at you than pointing at who you're pointing at. First of all, we consider ourselves. We consider the example we're setting. But then we confront our brother. The Bible says we're to go to him in private. You know, the worst form of bleeding is internal bleeding. If you cut your hand and you're bleeding, you know you're bleeding, so you get medical attention. You get it stitched up or bandage on it. You, you get something done. You know you're bleeding. I'm bleeding. But an internal bleeding, you don't know it. It may not even show up at first. But it may be much more critical than if you cut your hand, even severely, because the bleeding will continue and continue and continue, and it may get to a point that it cannot be stopped. It may get to a critical point that's caused other problems and it can cost you your life. Again, so many problems fester with time. So many problems get bigger with time when all it would take is for two people to sit down and talk. Do you love one another enough to confront? Oh, well, I love that brother, so I'm not going to say anything. No, 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 no. If you clear the air, then you, 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 you get a fresh start. It, but when you harbor that and hold that in, all of a sudden it becomes internal and all of a sudden it becomes a bigger problem than it is. Unresolved conflict is like a pregnancy. Sooner or later it will be noticed in public. How do you confront your brother? If you have to confront, how do you do it? Number one, privately. Verse 15 says alone. Many times I fear we tell the wrong person. Proverbs 16, verse 28 says, A perverse man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Proverbs 25, verse 9 says, Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself, and disclose not a secret to one another. Why should I? Oh, okay. Doug and I have a disagreement. What am I to do? Well, I go to him. I don't go to you. I don't go to you. I don't go to you. I go to him. First of all, I consider myself. Have I done something that caused him to feel the way he's feeling? Have I set a right example before him? Have I been kind to him, patient with him? Have I done something? Me, 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 not him, me. But I go to him in private. I don't go to everybody. I don't get a committee together to go and confront Doug about a problem that we have. I confront him in private. And what do I do first? Find out what happened. 
You have to confirm what was. Doug, I heard you told Jack that I was a. And I'm really ticked. Doug says, I've never said that. Well, Bob told me that. Bob told me you said that. You see how we're debating our cause with somebody else? All of a sudden, I've got a problem over here, a problem over here, and a problem here. I've got three problems, and guess what? Nobody said anything to me. All that would happen is I go to him and said, did you say that I was dirty? No, I would never say that about you. End of discussion. And I'll never talk to Bob again. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> then I go to Bob and say, you know, did I miss, oh, you misunderstood me. I was joking when I said, because he was joking. Oh, oh man. <laughs> Don't tell me that doesn't happen. That happens every day. Secondhand information and all of a sudden we invent a problem. There's no problem there. We have to first of all privately go. We humbly go. Again, Galatians 6.1 says, In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself. I go to, to Doug because I may have misunderstood. I could be wrong. Oh, no, Brother Owens, I'm never wrong. I always have the facts straight. Oh, give me a break. We live in a fast-paced world today. And I'm going to tell you, the phone and texting and tweeting and all this other stuff, where you use code words and code and initials, you think it's misunderstood speaking, you get that. Susan was, we were on a trip this last week, and Susan was just a Texan, and she got a bunch of LOLs, YOUs, PhDs, all this stuff came in. She said, what does this mean? I said, I don't even know how to turn the phone on and you're asking me all this stuff. She said, well, I think it means such and such. I said, well, I hope it doesn't mean that. Look at the context. She said, oh, no, that's not what it means. I'm telling you, misunderstanding today is accentuated because we live in a technological age to where we want to communicate 24-7. And I'm just going to tell you that has inherent problems with it. Used to, back in the good old days, when I worked in an office and somebody said something, we'd just sit and be, I cannot believe they said it. Then the computer came along. I'll tell you what I'm going to say. Now we don't have to have a computer. Just get a phone out. Boom. And all of a sudden, we've invented a situation when the first thing we have to do is consider ourselves. Could it be that I misunderstood? Could it be that I'm wrong? And humbly, in a spirit of meekness, I consider myself. And then forgivingly, Matthew 18, verse 21 says, as often as he asks for forgiveness, you forgive. Do you have the audacity to not forgive people when the heavenly Father forgives you? Do you have the audacity to not forgive people time after time when God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you time after time after time? What a hypocrite we are. You get one shot, but with me, with God, Lord, it's 490 times minimum. No, no. Forgivingly, I forgive as often as you ask you say, well, Brother Owens, I don't think they mean it. Then God will deal with that. 
Your job's not to check it out. Your job is to forgive. And I'm going to tell you, God can take care of the rest of it. Next, you confirm the matter with witnesses. Verse 16. Again, the idea, this is not the Baptist Gestapo going in. You make sure what the problem is. You make sure the facts. You try to establish some rapport. You're there to settle the problem. You're there to know what has happened. And the whole idea is to regain your brother. Not to show him where he's wrong and you're right, but to restore him, put him back in play. Well, if you won't hear that, you consult the church. The purpose here is, again, not to expose or embarrass, but to reach the person. What does the church do? First of all, it considers itself. Have we as a church failed? Have we set an environment where this is prevalent in our church? Are we guilty as a church of not being the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we prayed as a church for this brother? The Bible says if after this, the individual is still adamant and neglect to hear, what do we do then? Verse 17. Listen to what it says. And if he shall neglect to hear of the church, uh, hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be as unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. This is often misunderstood. If you go through all of this trying to regain your brother and he still won't hear, what do you do? You treat him as a heathen. Well, what do we do to the heathen? Well, we throw dirt on them. We criticize them. We talk about them. No. What do you do with a heathen? You pray. You pray. You see, this is the bottom line. If you go through all of this scripturally, lovingly, thinking of yourself first, and the brother won't respond, maybe he's not a brother. Quit trying to gain him and start trying to win him. Maybe he's not a Christian. Maybe we thought he was, because he's on the church roll, he's a Christian when he's not. But this doesn't give us license to mistreat. This gives us opportunity to shorten up on the very thing that we need to be as Christians to show him Christian love. <laughs> don't tell me this was, won't work. We just don't do it very well. We as the church, if we're not careful, we set ourselves up as judge and jury rather than going to the brother, caring for the brother, loving the brother. And then if after all efforts have been made, you realize he's not a brother. You don't jettison him. You don't excommunicate him. You don't church him. You try to win him because there's something desperately out of sync in his or her life. Disagreements. Disagreements will come. They just will. How do you deal with them? Matthew 18. You go privately, try to establish what's happened. If that doesn't work, take a couple of people with you. To, again, to establish the facts. What has happened here? 
If you won't hear that, you go to the larger group. Not to get them, but to win them, to settle the disagreement. And if that doesn't work, you love them in Jesus. Say, Brother Owens, this is wonderful. We're just so glad you're here today. But Brother Owens, that is a rather naive way to approach life. Yes, it is. Because what it does, it takes you out of the business of being judge and let God be the judge. Because you are not God, he is. So step out of the argument. Do what the Bible says to lovingly, humbly, obediently try to make peace and understanding, not sacrificing the truth. But if that doesn't work, then we try to win them to faith in Christ. I have a good friend who pastored a church in Louisiana, and he had a man who was a deacon. He was living a lifestyle not according to any standard of decency. And so he went to him and talked to him about it. And he basically told him, it's none of your business how I live my life. So he took a couple of men with him. He went to him, and he basically told them that. They went to the church. And the church said, we're going to pray for this man, but he can no longer serve in the capacity of a deacon. So they took him out as a deacon. He continued to live that lifestyle for several years. And then God's judgment came on him. And he ended up calling that pastor and with broken heart over the phone said, I have been a fool. The church completely restored him and his family and he became a deacon six months after he died. During that time that they were dealing with him and the church was dealing with him, the church went through a huge struggle in this because it was church discipline going on. We don't do that very well as Baptists. And the pastor called me several times fearful of his own job when he was trying to do what the Bible says. Sometime later, the church apologized to the pastor. They said, Pastor, the very thing that we were after him about, we were guilty of the very same thing. Forgive us. And he did. Today, that is one of the most dynamic churches in all of the state of Louisiana. I'm telling you, folks, God has a book of rules and a book of order, how to deal with the practical situations of life. It's when we try to make up the rules that sound good to us is when we get in trouble. Just go back to what the Scripture has to say. It's amazing how he blesses it and how you use it. Bring on the friction because we're going. But we're also going to deal with the disagreements should they arise in a biblical way. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the sweet spirit in this church. Thank you for the almost unanimous approach to where we are as a church. Lord, I praise you for that. That is of you. That is none of us. And so, Lord, we want to guard that. We want to be sure we stay in agreement with you and stay in unity with you But Lord, should things come along, help us to understand the first thing we do, rather than pointing our finger at somebody else, we consider ourselves. And the whole idea is not to prove who's right and wrong. That's politics. 
That's the world's politics. What we're in charge of doing is restoring your church. Restoring that brother or sister back into fellowship. So Lord, this morning, help us to examine ourselves as a church, as individuals. There's one here this morning who's never trusted Christ. I pray this would be the day they would say yes to Jesus Christ. That's why he went to the cross to die for the sins of the whole world. And through a simple act of repentance and faith, we turn to Christ saying, I don't want my sin. I want forgiveness for my sin. Christ offers that to me and I freely, willingly accept it. A person's made right with God eternally at that moment. If there's somebody here this morning needs to do that, I pray your spirit would give liberty of expression to them. Maybe there are those here this morning, Christians, even fine members of this church, but somehow just the things that are happening, even the good things that are happening in the church right now are kind of like water off a duck's back. We, we're not excited about what God's doing. And maybe it's unconfessed, unrepented of sin. Maybe there's something in our life that we're just not as excited about who you are and what you're doing like you used to. And they need to come and just talk with you about that. This altar is always open for folks who need to come and bend a knee and lend an ear to what you have to say. Maybe there are those who need to come and unite with this church by letter or statement or any other way this church would receive members. What a glorious time to be a part of First Baptist Church, Daytona Beach. Lord, any other decision this morning that will bring honor and glory to your name, I receive it, I claim it in Christ's name and solely for his purpose. Amen. This morning, staff will be here to greet you. The altar is open if you need to come. If there's a decision you need to share, they'll be here to assist you, pray with you, whatever. But maybe you just need to come and kneel. Maybe you just need to come and say, Lord, I need to talk with you about something in my life. This is that time for you to respond as God's Spirit would prompt your heart and lead you. We're standing now. We're singing on the first note of that first verse. Why don't you come? Step right out and come today. That's right.